Welcome to the Opera Biz Podcast, uncut and unfiltered, where we hang out with opera professionals and talk about life inside the industry. I'm your host, Daniel Welch. Thank you very much for coming on and taking the time. I mean, I appreciate you taking the time. And Absolutely. <laughs> coming over here and hanging out. And yeah, yeah. Timing was nice that I was going to be here in your city. Right? I know, I know. Although you're back, you're back in New York on Friday? <laughs> I am back in New York um, at the beginning of March. At the beginning of March. Yeah, first week of March. Nice. So, yeah, I, I told Nathan, um, I was like, I don't know when he's back. He's like, is he here? Do we... I know, I know. There's always <laughs> is, he, this... is, he in, is he in town? Right, <laughs> right. Is he here? Why hasn't I heard? Why haven't I heard from him? And what's you just going like on? apparate, just like show up. There's 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 a certain amount of I don't like to just show up. I like to give people warning because I feel like there is respect involved in the relationship between artist and manager. Uh-huh. And I'm big on like equality. Like yeah. I don't they don't work for me. I don't work for them. We're a team. Team 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 is my go-to. And so um I never try and pull a fast one. There are yeah. colleagues that that like do materialize at your performances and you can see at the after party like those artists come out of their dressing room. Or like to the cast party, and they're like, "Oh, oh, you're here," you know, like, <laughs> like, like, hi, hi, yep. and it's like, okay. So I'll say every once in a while, I'll be backstage at the Met, and somebody will come out of the dressing room, and all of a sudden their agent is there, and they're like, "Oh, right, hello, right," <laughs> and you can you can tell really quickly if that is a good, healthy, simpatico relationship, or if there's some contention, or like... Or zero dialogue. Exactly. Or, <laughs> or if they're seeing each other for a reason. Like, uh-huh. I better show up at your Met show, because I know trouble's a brewin mm-hmm. with something, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, I always enjoy it when I've... I have been backstage a couple of times when somebody has called in sick. Yes. And then also been there when the agent shows up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm going to extricate from... This area, yeah, I don't want to be involved. Yeah, it's about to go down. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that the biggest part of my job is diffusing the internal drama singers feel from yeah. day to day. Yeah. You know, it's because you are your own product. You exist unto yourself mm-hmm. as a business, and you know you don't have an instrument that you carry with you that you can blame things on. You don't um, have an office you go to that can help dissolve tension and things like that you live with yourself and so when i work with people when we're just starting i say i am an extension of you i am part of your team Mm -hmm. i am not here solely um to watch you succeed and fail i'm here to deal with that with you and help you find a way to kind of find your truth and find your happiness and make your dreams come true so to that end we um you know, clients will call and say, oh, my God, I have it's my best Donald Trump voice for some reason. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. No, but um, they'll say, you know, I have I have three rehearsals today, a show tonight. Um, they want me to cover all of this stuff. All this all this tension is happening. How do I how do I make it work? And I say, well, you know, have you told anybody that this is too much for you? No, because I don't want to. I don't want to upset them. You know, they gave me this contract. And I was like, well, people that aren't singers usually don't know what goes into good vocal production from day to day and how much rest you need and things like that. If you have a show tonight, um, you know, tell them to, you know, make your schedule better. And it changes person to person. 
It like, does. I know people just seem to have vocal cords of iron and they can just go out and sing yeah. 24-7 and nothing affects them. Right. And other people are like, I'm going to need two days exactly. after this performance yep. before I go and sing this again. And yeah. And it's totally fair and it should be built in. But if someone is not communicating, then there it is. it's not going to happen. Yeah. So, so Daniel, you sent me some amazing questions. Yes. Um, which I, I ruminated on. Well, let's, you mentioned uh, that you were an assistant before. Yes. And you've kind of climbed the ranks. Yes. What, what got you interested in artist management, specifically in opera? I mean, that's a super niche realm to it begin It is, with. right? Much less, I mean, we can count on our fingers and toes how many good managers we know yeah in the entire industry exactly yeah it's true it's it's a very niche part of the of of all the performing arts yeah. um on any spectrum um so i uh my parents are opera singers mm-hmm. they're actually in the inaugural season of the lyric opera of chicago american artists um center for american artists which is now the ryan opera center mm-hmm. program in the late 70s and so um, they had me and decided to quit pursuing uh, their performance careers full time, went back to school, got their master's and doctorates, and now are retired, but taught then for years um, at many universities, but mostly at Washburn University in Topeka, Kansas, okay. where I grew up. And so I grew up around vocal music. Um, I was pushed into theater, things like that. And that um, turned into a voice degree at Wichita State. Um, I did it. I did the shows. I did voice lessons. I was like, I never want to be a performer. I just, I don't have the bug. I don't, I, I don't need to be in the spotlight. Yeah. I don't need to um, wig out before a performance. I'm, I'm pretty high strung as it is. And so I don't want to really go there every night just to get myself ready. Yeah. Um, and so kind of halfway through my degree, I decided, you know what? This is a really fun degree program, as you know. Um, so let's stick with it. Like, because I don't want to like get, go into like communications or psychology or something and all those horrible prerequisites. Um, so I finished out my degree and had done some arts administration stuff. Mm. So this was 2006. I remember um, laying on my bed, graduation day, sobbing my brains out because I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't want to get my master's in voice. I wasn't really um, academically minded, um, and I didn't want to go. I just didn't want to do more school. So because my parents were associated with the Lyric Opera, they still had some um, friends who worked there, and they called and they said, help our son. And I did a summer internship there, uh, that summer of 2006, and a girl broke her contract for the following season to be an artist liaison in the rehearsal department. Okay, yeah. Um, and so they invited me to do that, and I did that for three consecutive seasons. And then the um, head of stage management at the time, Jennifer Good, who's now, I believe, the technical director at San Francisco Opera, um, invited me to interview to be an assistant scheduler at Santa Fe Opera. Okay. And so I worked there in 2007 and 2008. In 2008, I met a boy who lived in New York and was trying to be an opera singer. Um, and we fell madly in love. And I was 
just looking for any way to get to New York, literally any way. (laughs) And I moved for love. And so he moved here briefly and was a barista at the top of the John Hancock building Mm -hmm. at the Lavazza and sang in a church choir and did all these kind of hustle New York or Chicago things that all performing artists do. And then, but I was like, your place is in New York. I kind of want to try New York. Let's see what it's about. So, um, a lot of the singer friends that I had made through Santa Fe and Lyric um, were either represented by IMG or Columbia Artists, then Cami, yeah. um, and uh, the Met wasn't hiring, and New York City Opera was still there, but kind of in its weird in-betweeny stages. Mortier was there, but it was um, he he was not going to stay, and then the 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 um, the future of the company was in. Was in. It's a little cloudy. It was. Yeah. It was totally cloudy. And so um, because of my ex, I I was like, okay, any any job will do. I'm 24, uh, so let's just find something. So management fit the bill. Yeah. Um, I had all of my, my singer friends that were with IMG call up my would-be manager, Alec Troyhoft, and like inundate him with like, Sam is good, Sam is good, Sam is good. Awesome. And... Um, I got a phone interview and they hired me over the phone um, in a subsequent call. So two weeks later, I moved to New York. Um, it was February 28th, 2009. Um, there was a huge blizzard um, and just started my job there as an assistant. I worked there for three and a half years doing that. Uh, I left and worked at Opera America for almost two years in their fundraising department mm-hmm. um, to build my kind of cachet in the industry as far as like i don't do only one thing and um they also paid a lot better than being an assistant manager does industry-wide and then um an opening uh came up at img and my now boss and mentor uh, matthew horner asked me to come back and that was um late 2000 uh oh my gosh late 2011 and uh, since 2012, uh, ex- almost exactly five years, I've been a client signing um, manager at mm-hmm. IMG. Nice. Yeah. So that's that's my. Because you were kind of uh, uniquely bred for the position. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. I mean, kind of by default. Exactly. And you'll find um, a lot of a lot of people in the performing arts have have uh, like. Uh, Filippo Anselmi is Renato Scotto's son, mm-hmm. and he's a manager and mm-hmm. runs his own company. Um, and you know, it's so so. There are kind of like offspring of of performers who want to remain in the fine arts, but don't right. want to go whole hog well, into they, it. Like you knew what it took to perform, so you knew what the what your clients are going through. Yeah, um, which is. A unique position, yeah. Um, on top of the business aspect of the industry, and you know, kind of got a feel for that as you wandered through. But having the perspective of both sides makes you invaluable as as manager. Well, and the the one thing that I told myself was is I always want to be around singers. Mm. I love opera as an art form. I never mind going to the opera, but it's the colleagues and the artists and the artistry and the sales that keep me happy every day. Mm-hmm. I love talking to my artists, I love talking to singers, hearing about their lives, hearing what's going on, 
um, sharing in their successes, things like that. That's what brings me my joy. Nice. Um, so, so yeah, in that way, it's, it's helpful for me to kind of have a sneak peek into what that's all about for in sure. the past. 100%. Yeah. What else do we have on this list? <clears throat> so you had asked me what being an artist manager is right now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like 2019, what that looks like. Yeah. Um, so when I started, it was just the beginnings of the economic downturn. Mm-hmm. And nobody kind of, nobody knew what that would do to the arts. And it right. was it was horrible. It was horrible. I think that um, most every company and organization has rebounded to some degree, but a lot of them took major hits um, either to their... Uh, most corporate donations went completely away and and um a lot of private and major gifts dwindled quite a bit and what that looked like for us is lower fees and fewer performances if not fewer productions within a season Mm -hmm. so there was a lot of scrambling and a lot of kind of uh you know there's a word that we use at img a lot and it's buoyancy you have to be buoyant toward anything that can happen mm-hmm. and just be ready for it and yeah. be be able to change and quick to do it. And I, I really, I, I, love, I love that. It's, it's helpful for me as a person, um, you know, because we're putting, we're putting people on a stage, you know, to entertain others. Yeah. I'm not, I, I couldn't do anything else. Yeah. I, I don't have the education for it. <laughs> so like, like I try, I try and, and keep some levity in it because it is entertainment it's the entertainment industry for sure um you know yeah, it's show business it's showbiz it's showbiz kid um so but i think now more than ever um in the 10 years or so since i've started being in management off and on um you know there's there's always the distinction and the question that people have is what's an agent and what's a manager yes and um bojack horseman on netflix has made hilarious light of that over and over again because um amy sedaris's character um who's she's a cat um princess princess something um she's she's a manager because managers produce and agents just book and you know she says that to her clients who are like well you're just a hollywood agent i'm yeah so (laughs) i'd say as an agent, I do act that way mm-hmm. um, because I think that there is a responsibility for a manager to have work for their clients. Yeah. There is um, a financial need, and this is a business, and I want people to be able to pay their bills. And um, you know, if you can sing um, Beethoven Misa Solemnis, and it's not the perfect thing for you, but I can book you in four of those, and it's not it's not hurting other things you'd like to do um, or hurting your voice, most important, then do it. Go make some cash. Yeah. And while we do that, the management comes into play. Let's find opportunities that really suit your voice and put you in that, put that plan into place that we have, that we are trying to establish yeah. um, over the next few years. Uh, you know, there, there are great anecdotes from some of my management and artist contemporaries um, that kind of bring to light how different the industry is. Um, you know, you'll talk to people and they'll, they'll try and sell you on an artist. These, these 60 and 70 year old men and women who, who are just 
just titans in the industry. And they'll say, oh, she's great. She needs to do, do Mahler 8s and Frickas and, and um, Omnerises and, and that'll be it. So just find her a bunch of those and it'll be great. And, you know, and, and there's this joke that we have in the office of, oh, well, yeah, let me just grab one of the 20 contracts I have sitting on my desk <laughs> right. and give it to that singer because this is all it is. I'm, right. I'm literally just sitting here kind of waiting to be guided by some uh, contemporary of mine. Anyways, um, you know, so, so there's a lot more hustle involved than I think there used to be. Um, I think it was 2015, Ben Bliss did a um, Carnegie Hall Neighborhoods concert on the Upper West Side at a church. It was a beautiful concert, and um, Marilyn Horn was kind enough to attend uh, because I think it was part of the Song Continues program that Carnegie Hall absorbed when she chose to retire yeah. and, and kind of end that part of her business. And she was talking to me and Ben and said, Oh, you should, you should have Ben sing in all the Irish clubs. He should go and sing in all the Irish clubs. I got great traction in my career and, and am the recitalist I am today because of all the Irish clubs I sang in. And we said, yes, thank you, Ms. Horn. Thank you. Absolutely wonderful advice. And she left and Ben looked at me and he was like, what's an Irish club? <laughs> And I said, I said, I hope I was hoping you knew. And and we came to find out it was it's like it's like a social gathering place for people of Irish descent um, because of the large immigrant population in New York. Is it still a thing in New York? I don't think so. I think it's just like you know. I mean, those those people came over in the twenties and thirties and forties. They had kids. Those kids were American through and through, and just not as nationalistic for better yeah. or worse you know yeah. so you or i would go to an irish pub and there'd be like a few irish bartenders but just a bunch of other people from all walks of life right um but back then you know they wanted entertainment and marilyn horn apparently fit that bill um you know so there's there's a lot of advice like that bandied about yeah um and i think that that being a manager today um you know, it's it's important to keep over singers' overall growth in perspective, yeah. but also find them those opportunities that fill up the calendar, and um, help them make connections with um, presenting organizations and directors and conductors and things like that. And and now, I mean, we're looking at if if you've got artists that are singing in some of the major houses around the world, you're you're booking years in advance as right. opposed to what can we do six months from now, right? Eight months from now, right? It's, what's happening in 2023 yeah you know one of my uh one of my clients uh, gabriella reyes yeah um and i'm, I'm doing so, a bunch of her branding stuff and <clears throat> helping her with some things and she's like she was giving me a list of what she's what she's got on lined up sure for the upcoming years and she's like and this and this this i can't talk about yet this hasn't been released so i can't even tell you about this and she's like, but this is for 2022 and 2023. And yeah, yeah. Well, and for... It's just a constant reminder to me that like, oh yeah, that's way out there. And for, for voices, for young people's voices and voices for the repertoire that she sings, there's also this hope of, of like, I hope that that voice grows into that repertoire. Right. Because it's not a given. Yeah. You know, it's... It's, you know, we, we can usually track a progression pretty accurately. Um, and, you know, there's, 
there's some snippets and arias and things that people can sing um, that can help us as, as managers um, guide that repertoire and that those changes and things. But, but when, when the rubber meets the road, sometimes it's like, oh, this isn't right. This just really isn't right for them. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's some, some quick thinking that needs to happen. Yeah. Especially if you've booked a gig out five years in advance. I'd say the other big thing since the economic downturn is things happen a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Things happen so much more quickly. I am still very actively booking the 1920 season for some very big opera companies. Really? Um, that the public knows their titles and they don't know their casts yet. Wow. Um, and that's due to funding being secured season to season. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Hall rentals. A lot of places, a lot of organizations don't own their space. Um, so they have to, in order to get preferable rates, um, they have to wait until uh, the full price people have uh, committed to dates, like mm-hmm. touring Broadway shows, um, one-offs, other rentals, and then they can come in and say, I want to, um, you know, can we have this week for tech and performances? And then you have to rapidly build that show around the, the, those specific principles. Yeah. Yeah, and so we we deal with we deal with that very late, and so it's it's made the management job a little bit harder because it's hard for us to um, forecast income mm-hmm. and forecast if how and if an artist is successful. Yeah, because especially for a younger person, things come really quickly. Yeah, and things come furiously, and it's really easy when you're dealing with somebody fresh out of a young artist program to just jump on a gig and say, yes, do it. It pays. It's your first forte out into the world. Just do it, do it, do it. But is it right? You still have to answer those questions. Is it right? Is it correct? Is it, is it helping? Yeah. Um, I digress. The other question you said, I liked all of these, by the way. They were excellent. Um, what about people who are looking to be in artist management? How can they prepare? I would say that if you want to be a manager, you should be a manager. You should be allowed to be a manager. There is no specific prerequisite for it. Um, I think it takes a certain personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very able to multitask. Yeah. And I am. I love to be with people and I love to talk. And I would say that uh, a big introverted person is probably not going to succeed. Yeah. And... Uh, if you enjoy the work, then you should try it. We all have internships available. We all need help. Um, and you can dip your toe. There's also a lot of turnover within our associate level, mm. um, industry-wide, just because um, management gives a young person the ability to uh, interface with all of the departments at symphonies and opera companies. And so they can see what might be a better fit for them. And yeah. a lot of them run to different companies um, that, you know, say, oh my gosh, marketing at New York Phil, that's yeah. my thing. Yeah. Major gifts at Lyric Opera of Chicago, that's my thing, you know, and uh, that's great, more power to them. But we're, we're kind of a good uh, first stop, like an airport of sorts for, yeah. for the industry because you do get a little taste of each department. That's true. So I, I, I strongly encourage um, recent fine arts grads to look at management mm-hmm. um, if they, are unsure about a performance career or just plain don't want to do one. 
yeah. you know, because there's so many brilliant people that have fine arts and musical backgrounds and they're really valuable in the, in any industry. Yeah. Um, but if they can give back to the art form they supposedly love, um, I think that's a great thing and I encourage that. This is going to kind of wander back to our previous topic. Right now, you, you have a pretty good grasp of how many gigs there are, how many roles are out there for your average voices. Sure. How many, how many singers are out there right now per role are we looking at? Is there an oversaturation of singers in the market right now? I mean, we have so many singers coming out of conservatories on a day-to-day basis, it seems like. Yeah. Um, yes. And is, are you seeing that being a, a legitimate issue when you're booking clients? I'd say that... Or I should say getting contracts for your clients. Let's put it that way. I'd say that there is, like the rest of the world, a focus on youth and a focus on um, kind of the next best thing. Yeah. And that can... And with an art form such as opera, you're not very good at it until you've done it a lot. Yeah. And until you've given it a lot of years of study. So what we see is opera companies and symphonies wanting, wanting to save their dollars, pinch their pennies by getting a young person. We see a marketing department who can exploit the fact that people are young and very kind of not, not inexperienced, but just like, oh, look at this sensational voice out of such a young person. Um, and then management who is just trying to put all the pieces together. Whereas I think an audience sits there and says, well, that wasn't very good. I don't, I don't care that they were 25. Yeah. You know, I want, I, I came to hear this masterwork. I came to hear my favorite show that I grew up listening on the radio. Mm-hmm. And audiences are much more intelligent than I think we give them credit for. For sure. And, um, you know, I remember Atlanta Opera did a big kind of Billy Eichner on the street um, survey just to people and they were like here's five names of opera singers do you know any of them and it was like like 30% knew Luciano Pavarotti um, and and then that was it the rest were much much lower yeah and it was stories and um, connections and productions that were bringing people in they found yeah. And not stars. And so I think that that is, the, the newest movement is is kind of, there there are no more stars. Yeah. And I think that that there's, there's truth to that. I think that's a little bit of a, it's, you know, were there ever stars? And, you know, it's, it's I, I live in such a bubble of this. So, you know, I don't, I don't have the answer to that. But, um, you know, there are people that get paid like stars. There are people yeah. that make a lot of money. Yeah. You know, Renee Fleming and Anna Netrebko and Renee Papa and Vittorio Grigolo and uh, all these people. They get paid a lot of money to do what they do. Yeah. Cecilia Bartoli. They're all known, but you have to kind of already be an opera fan. Or, exactly. Or be involved in the industry right. to really know all the names. Right. And how many people are there that are fans like that? Yeah. You know? So, I mean, they're stars to us, of course, and they do really cool stuff, but... You know, they are just another person yeah. in this world. It's funny you mentioned that the, the kind of the stories, there's certain things that bring people into an opera house. And that's one of the things that when I talk to my clients about social media stuff, I'm like, listen, they want to 
see your day. The stuff that you think is super boring is the stuff that they want to see. They want to see what it's like to have a rehearsal yeah. in the opera world. If they're not in the opera world, they want to know what that's like because you, they think you're living this big exotic life. Give them a little bit of you. Right. Like, give them you, give them an emotional connection to you, and then they're going to show up and see you sing when you sing. It doesn't matter if you have 20,000 followers or 200 followers. If you can engage with those followers that you have, they're going to show up because they're connected to you. Right. And they're not going to care about who else is in the, honestly, who else is in the cast. Well, and I think, I think people would be shocked at how boring an opera singer's life can oh, be. Oh, totally. Especially on contract. <laughs> especially on contract. The, you know, sending somebody to a cold climate in the winter is probably the hardest thing I have to do because I know that they will maybe have three, four hours of rehearsal and then it's just hang out in your hotel, yeah. learn music, binge watch something on Netflix and, um, you know, I'm gonna call, call I'm, your manager. I'm friends with Serena Malfi. Yes. And th- you just you just laid out her entire life. Yeah. Like I, I watch her stories and she's, she's in London right now and she got to London. It was snowing. And so, of course, on her Instagram story, she's, she takes a selfie of her. Just She has that look on her face like, shit. Yeah. It's snowing. I'm in London. Great. Exactly. And then she <laughs> she will be the first to tell you that. Oh, yeah, I binged an entire season of this today. Because, right, right. Or I know that when she was working in Paris for doing a recording, they're recording so many days a week. And I was like, are you going out and doing anything else? She's like, no, the weather is, it's like it's in the 40s yeah. and it's raining and I have to record. So I'm hiding in my hotel room. You don't want to get sick. Yeah. You, can't, exactly you can't get you sick. You can't get sick. You cannot get sick. Just like you said before, you're, you are your instrument. Right. There are no excuses to make. Yeah. It's just you. Yeah. This is why we see so many singers make, young singers make all these excuses. I'm going to sing for you, but I'm not feeling great right now. Like oh, I know. they give you that I know. fucking prerequisite. I know. I know. I hate that. Well, and and something that I tell my youngest clients is you will feel like a baller on your first few contracts. Yes. You will feel awesome and it will feel great to know that you're doing what you just spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and decades perfecting. And I said you'll treat it like vacation. I said don't. Yeah. I said, travel with a panini maker and a hot pot, assuming you're put in a hotel, and pinch your pennies. Yeah. Because this is one contract of what I hope will be many, but is oftentimes just the beginning of a slow climb to where I'd like you to be. Yeah. And where you'd like to be. And it's hard. Well, we all know those singers that they'll have a great gig that, you know, only has a limited run. Yeah. This isn't Broadway. They'll do a limited run, and then they'll go back and be like, and now I'm teaching, you know, art classes or Working at Costco. Or waiting tables. Being at Starbucks. Bartending. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. And I then think they'll go back great. and then do another gig, you know. Yeah. But it's, 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 and I think that the people coming out, the people 30 and under now are really hip to gig culture and, and just kind of. Um, having a lot of differentiating um, income sources, yeah. and I think that that's smart, and yeah. it's and not having shame in that, right. you know, not like our parents mm-hmm. who had, you know, company men and women who started their jobs at twenty two, retired at sixty five with a fully vested pension, yep. and a Cadillac and a gold watch. Yeah. You know, it's 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 not it's not it anymore, and I think having 
different revenue streams. I mean, that's why I work for man. That's what I love about management is yeah. I got a lot of people paying my bills. Yeah. I don't have just one organization that, you know, I, I live and die by. I have, you know, s- several hundred yeah. that I contract with that pay my salary. And yeah. that's great. It makes me feel good. Yeah, I mean, like I'm, I'm here in Chicago doing commercial work that has nothing to do with people. Right. 90% of my work is portrait work. Right. But every once in a while, if I get a call, it's like, can you shoot this boat that we built the PA system into? Yeah. Or, you know, this penthouse that is amazing and has this TV that disappears into the wall. Yeah. I'm going to take that gig because I'm going to diversify yeah. my income base. And, and <laughs> boats and TVs won't fail you. Exactly. And they pose for pictures well. They're never afraid to be in front of the camera. Yeah, you know? I've never met a boat I didn't like. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, so, some other questions you asked. What do you look for in an artist besides exceptional vocal ability? Yes, this is a big one. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll, I'll just, I'll kind of, um, you know, artists come to me in all different stages of their careers. So, right. I'll focus on the youngest people. Yeah. Um, I think from a business standpoint, we first look at is there something to manage? Mm -hmm. There's a young lady that uh, emailed me last week that said, that that phrased her email very differently than normal, which was, I have these six gigs in the next two seasons. Three of them overlap with each other. I personally feel like, I, the singer, feel like there's a way to make these work, but I do not have the wherewithal or the, or the, guts to like go back to these people and be like look i want to make all this money i want to be able to do all of this i feel like i could make it work for me yeah and so that that answers the first question do you have something to manage that's something to manage it's clearly something there to manage and that's not about me making money off her that's about her having enough coming in that there is value Mm -hmm. to my work Mm -hmm. on her behalf um you know we do we we are a business and we have a big roster and so what we try to do is holistically sign clients um we 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 actually look at shows can we cast a barber of seville using only our artists can we cast a turando can we cast a bohem can we cast a ring cycle using only our singers mm. can we cast it at an a house can we cast it at a b house can we cast it at a c house can we cast it purely with 20-somethings? We, we go through all of that constantly. Yeah. And that shows us the holes in our roster. It shows us where, um, you know, a lot of singers that we hope will be very promising, we send to Europe for a while um, to be in ensembles to get that valuable stage time. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, just those connections with the European conductors and directors over there. And so we've, we've in essence, lost them for freelance work in North America and elsewhere because they have signed two- and three-year contracts with those European companies uh, for fest contracts. Um, you know, so that is, you know, do we, do we find somebody to take over their spot? So, you know, quote-unquote. Um, you know, are we... And also we get casting notices every day, all day, from symphonies, from um, opera companies, from recital presenters. And it's, are we inundating them with too many people? Mm. Do, are they coming to us with a Carmen and I have 
five equally good Escamillos that I can offer them. And that's a bad thing. Yeah. I think that's bad. Um, you know, there's, I, I'd say that there are exceptions. I'd say that you can never have too many tenors. So tenors, it may seem like a difficult road, but stick with it because they almost always find their way. Um, you were talking about people wanting the next best thing. Everybody wants the next big tenor. They do. Everybody they absolutely wants that, do. Yeah. Without question. Yeah. And I mean, for example, I, I met, I went up to Ben Bliss after he did a Richard Tucker um, Foundation audition. And I, I was, this was maybe, I'd started in February of 14. This was um, uh, May, April of 14. And I just went right up to him. I was like, hi, I think you're awesome. You're tall and you're handsome. And you just sang the crap out of um, Ferrando. Uh, do you have a manager? And he was like, no, I don't. <laughs> and like, you know, and, and that's, that's just who I am. And so we realized we were neighbors in Astoria. And so I just started like taking him to coffee and meeting up with him and all this stuff. And like five months later, he was like, yeah, let's work together. Let's do it. Nice. And so, you know, there's... Um, I, I feel like there's there's a way that um, you can kind of approach people. I digress. My approach is to connect with people personally. Yeah. And I do a lot of, I spend a lot of time with a lot of singers, a lot of different singers, and you can tell if it's not going to be a good match. Mm-hmm. And I look at it as dating, and I call it a first date. Yeah. Because I say, if all goes well, I might be long, with you longer than you are your husband or wife it's true or partner yeah. you know and that's an ideal situation um i'll go th- through with you go go through you with all these all these problems and all these successes and just life yeah and i love that i love that it's like i have i i'm i'm extremely polyamorous in that way yeah so, <laughs> non-sexually polyamorous um so i would say that there's always the question of of weight yeah. You know, is it is it okay to be fat? Should I be skinny? Should I be um, fit? Should I look a certain way? I'd say it depends on your repertoire. Mm. I'd say that, number one, I don't want any artist to kill themselves being who they aren't at the detriment of their voice. I think we all know singers at several different levels whose, um, whose weight fluctuations, either more or less, have coincided with some vocal problems. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important to keep in mind that your body will try its darndest to be at a specific weight and that you shouldn't really yeah. push that too hard. Um, and, you know, if if you're singing Mimi or Violetta, both of whom are dying throughout the show, if you're a, a healthy girl healthy looking girl it's not going to really read well yeah. and you're playing a character yeah um you know there's a lot of a lot of um donizetti heroines who um who you can be a, a larger queen you can be a larger princess like in Turandot, things like that and it, it totally works yeah so there's but if you don't sing those things you need to think about how your characters are portrayed right um so i don't personally take on any sort of advice that way it's just a question of do you look the part yeah. literally well as i was gonna say you know i 
when I was singing consistently, I could have easily sung Escamillo. Mm -hmm. But at 6'1 and 325, that does not fit Escamillo. Like, it just, it's not. So I never went after that rep because it didn't fit who I was. Right, right. You know, and, um, there's there always seems to be this battle of well I want to sing this yeah but I kind of fit this over here instead right like you said I, if you're if you're like you said there's a certain amount of fluctuation that can be healthy and there's a happy spot that your body likes to yeah. be at it's managing expectations that's a big part of my job is just is just finding people's happiness within the constraints of life mm-hmm. and what what has been handed to them and what they're capable of. Yeah. And some people will spend their entire careers working at an extremely high level, making buckets of money, and still feel like they haven't accomplished those one or two dream roles because of physical or vocal constraints. Yeah. And that sucks, but that's life. Yeah. You know, I, not everybody gets everything they want. Yeah. Um, I will say that I'm I'm a huge believer in putting more diversity on stage. I love that. Uh, Francesca Zambello said it best to me in a meeting. She said, I want my stage, my peop- my cast members to reflect what people see when they walk down the street. Mm-hmm. And it's not this whitewashed world. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think she and, and a lot of other um, organizations are, are really coming into looking at different ethnicities and and hopefully not sacrificing vocal quality right. um, because I think that that is first and foremost amongst anything um, the most important element right. that we need to keep in mind is is are, are these good singers is this a good thing uh, vocally um, but putting special attention on those um, minority populations Mm -hmm. where you can both build audiences from a company standpoint and also, um, you know, kind of show that different shows can be portrayed with different ethnicities. Yeah. I think that's great. Absolutely. It's just, to me, that is just as interesting as a kind of non-traditional take on a production. Yeah. You know, I think it's, and it's, it's the future. We're all... We're all slowly intermixing, and you know, in, hun- in a few hundred years, there's there's not going to be that many minorities. Yeah, and I love that. I yeah. think that's great. It has to be that way. Yeah, I agree. Um, you had you said where do you where do you get your artists? Where do you look for them? Um, do you have scouts out there looking for you, or do you prefer to discover an artist yourself? Yeah, and when I say scouts, I mean we we know there's. You worked as an assistant. There, yes. You know, there's there's different tiers to the business. Yeah. That, you know. Yeah. Um, there's yeah, lots are, of tiers. Are you, are you listening? Are you looking to colleagues and somebody says, oh, you should totally listen to this person? Or, you know, do you like do you like it to be a something that you've either stumbled across or you went out of your way to find? You know, what's what's your process? And obviously everybody's is different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mine is... is there's a lot of Ouija boards involved. So, yeah. you know, it's just a lot of, <laughs> a lot of seances, a lot of occult practices. And, uh-huh, and suddenly, uh-huh. and I've, I've arrived at a roster somehow. No, um, we travel a lot. And what's great is, is my team, which is made up of uh, me and three other guys. Um, we 
we are somewhere in the world at any given time and hearing people and saying, Sam, I know you're looking for this voice. Marcus, I know you're looking for this voice. Matthew, um, you have to hear this tenor I just heard. I think he'd be perfect. Um, Jamie, you're building a roster. Check out this this bass baritone. Um, check out this baritone. There's so many excellent low male voices out there. Um, you know, and, and we help each other. And mm-hmm. so there's always eyes on the ground in that way. Summer is a great way for us to hear people. Um, it's a good conflagration of, of individuals. Um, I always spend a week in Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. I always try and go to St. Louis, always go to Des Moines, always try and go to Glimmerglass. Um, and, you know, because it is so competitive, who, who host young artist audition days right. or do a concert of their young artists. Right. I prefer the auditions, any industry people listening, um, but I, I, I see the value in making money off of your young artists by hosting them in an evening of, of Shayna's and Aria right. presentations. So I get it, I get it. Um, I will say that it has become so competitive in that market and we go after so many people from those that we're starting to trickle down into conservatories yeah. and uh, universities. And basically there's about only three that actively pursue management on behalf of their singers. And that's the Academy of Vocal Arts in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. Curtis Institute in Philadelphia and Juilliard. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really hear that often from other uh, universities. Um, and I would love to hear their, their masters and doctoral students who are of age to pursue yeah. professional careers, um, but are, for whatever reason, under this umbrella of academia for the time being. Right. And I think a lot of people may want to have performance careers and they self-select out of it because they think it's too hard. Mm. But I would love for them to sing what I know they've been working on as part of their education and, and see if there's something that can be done there. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of diamonds in the rough there. Or just diamonds. Yeah. I mean, just really excellent people hanging out at the Jacobs School in Bloomington mm-hmm. or at USC or at San Francisco Conservatory. Yeah. And they just never see the light of day because yeah. they don't think they have it. And so I think that I, I would hope that um, more universities will start seeking managers out only because we tend to have the best idea of what's going on in the business mm-hmm. at any given time, just mm-hmm. because of, of how, how um, well-traveled we are, yeah. if you want to call it well-traveled. I would say it was well travel, yeah. <laughs> Traveled. I travel a lot. You travel more than I do. I, yeah, so. yeah. Um, what about uh, what about singers coming to you? What are your thoughts on that? I get about it's like applying for a job. Um, I'm not the job, but you know, wanting wanting a job is all about the approach. Right. I get probably two to three requests for management a day. Yeah. And um, that's actually lower than I would have expected. And it. It varies from form letters with every colleague in my office, um, you know, the guy that does our ballet tours, <laughs> the guy that that does only conductors, um, the lady that does attractions, our booking people who never, ever have to work with opera singers. They're all copied on an email. And, and those are kind of the file away and forget because it's just throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. And I respect that method, but it's not going to get my attention. What I really like is when 
somebody wants to work with me. Somebody wants to work with Sam Snook and they know who I am. They know who my artists are. Most important, they've done the research and they can see where they could fit in on my roster. I've had a couple artists that say, look, I noticed that, you know, there's always a lot of Sopranos in this world, but they look at the different careers some Sopranos are having. And they say, oh, so-and-so is in Berlin at the Deutsche Oper, um, Oper and um, she's probably not bookable for right now because she's under contract. Why don't you work with me? Blah, blah, blah. And I love that because it shows that they've done their research. They've done their homework. And yeah. they really want to do it. Yeah. And it's not, I, I think that, that I'm viewed as this, this unreachable person. And I'm, I'm, Absolutely not. And I love talking to young singers and I love talking and, and, and seeing them reach their potential and seeing them make those first few um, inquiries into their, their professional lives. And I'm not so busy that I can't hear an artist or hear somebody. Yeah. Um, so send me an email, but just don't make it generic. Yeah. Um, and so that's when they're coming to me. I think that that's also that's really a good thing um, if it's if it's personalized. Uh, a lot of times we get thank you notes um, from Young Artist Program participants, and I think that those always give me a second look mm-hmm. um, onto your stuff. If you have no media, I, I don't I don't care. I, I have to have I, I immediately opt out. I need to hear you. Yeah, seeing you and reading about you is great, but watching a video of you or seeing a or hearing an audio clip is is the only way that I can really move forward. Yeah, it's just there's there's so much volume in this industry. Um, I I just it's it's untainable for me to kind of go back and say, well, I feel like you would have posted it if you could have, but you didn't. <laughs> uh, so what's going on here? Yeah, are you bad? Do you feel like your clips aren't good enough? I don't care if it's an iPhone held over the monitor in your dressing room while you go out on stage. I don't care if your friend is holding their phone. Um, during a performance, it's hearing you. It's yeah. hearing the basic nuts and bolts of what you do. And from there, we can, you know, I can hear you live because that's the next step. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Who cares? It's just something. It's funny because I, a lot of a lot of the young artists that I work with, it like in Yaps specifically, one of the things that we discussed a lot last summer was how accessible people like you are. And there's a perception amongst, especially undergrads, that like getting a manager is this huge lofty thing that's like near the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Like when you've got the manager, you've arrived. Right. Kind of thing. And so it's it's like they wouldn't call up conductors out of at random, um, though I know singers who have done that and have had great success. Yes. In fact, Chris Maltman will talk to you about how when he switched from uh, a lot of the leader to wanting to do the Italian rep. He literally called the conductors he'd worked with, sat down with them, had coffee, and said, what do you think about me singing this rep? The whole idea is that the next couple tiers of people in the industry are accessible if you know how to do it the right way as a professional. Right. Exactly. Not just like shoot you a message on Facebook and be like, hey, what's up? Right. Right. (laughs) I don't use, for example, I don't use Facebook Messenger anymore because it's just, it's, and and now Instagram is getting that way too. Yeah. And it's, it's, this is my personal life which I'm happy to show as much as the next normal person, but I don't do any business there. And I do read my work email yeah. constantly <laughs> and I will respond to you. 
And, you know, I, I try and make a point of that. It's, it's, you're not going to get a better response out of me by reaching out on social media, by yeah. being in touch that way. Let's, let's keep it professional and then develop a friendship from there. There you go. Um, no, but that's true. It's, it's, and, and I love the Christopher Maltmans of this world who know what they want and they go after it. And I encourage my clients to do that as well. Yeah. It's, I, I, I don't have an association with Donald Runnicles. I've put you into a lot of things that he's conducted, but he might know me very tangentially as a manager in this industry that has singers that he has worked with, but that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. If you have a personal connection with him, if you have stood next to him singing something, then he wants to hear from you. Right. He doesn't want to hear from me. Yeah. And so I, I encourage everybody, managed or unmanaged, keep up and exploit your connections with the people that pay your bills. Yeah. I don't pay your bills. I help you get the work that pays your bills. Yeah. And by association, my bills. Right. So, you know, um, you know, so be in a place. So back to your question, how do I get management is be in a place where I'd be able to see you or write, write a, a real note that I can, that I know you've done your homework on and, you know, you can go to imgartist.com. You can go to the contacts page. You can click Sam Snook. You can see all the artists that I'm associated with. It's a very nice pictogram listicle thing that shows the 30-some people I work with. Yeah. And that will show you if you feel like you can fit in. Because nine times out of ten, if you are a singer of some value, I can either A, make room for you, or B, make a very good case of why I am not able to work with you based on saturation within my own roster right and how it would not be right and not be fair for you to work with me yeah um and i'd be actually doing your career a disservice yeah so because i it's it's all you know when when you have one good thing then you have two good things and you have five good things everybody is diminished a little bit yeah that's really tough it's really tough how many what's your sweet sweet spot for how many artists you represent what do you where do you like to sit i would say that I really feel the amount of artists I have between November and March when we're getting into the thick of audition season um, and then the th and then the new year comes around and that's the really thick of the booking season mm -hmm. for the following season and subsequent seasons because all the auditions are done. Casting people and companies have all sat down and said, okay, let's get it done and just the amount of emails come in. And then that kind of slows down. You see the gaps in your client's calendars and you say, okay, now we have to do some serious sales and serious pushing and be really, really proactive in things, which we have been doing ideally, um, but even more so. Now that, that the holds in a calendar have either come or gone yeah. um, or something has, has been more successful, uh, you know, a, a, a gig that they've done has been more or not, more successful or not as successful as we hoped it would be, um, you know, and and so that's when I really feel the amount of artists. I, I would say that right now I'm full, I'm full up at about 32 people, and I'd say my max, max, max would probably be about four or five more. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. And, but I, you know, I, I sit, I, I wake up at seven, and I just start working with Europe because they're still up. It's their lunchtime. And, you know, I, the, 
then at about nine o'clock, I take some time for myself and um, go to the gym, grab a coffee, just make sure I get out because I work from home. Mm -hmm. I sit on my couch all day um, if I'm not traveling. And then um, I work with the U.S. the rest of the day. I'm on the West Coast toward the end of the night. And then at night, um, Asia and Australia come come on board. And so really, I could work. 24-7. I really could. And and it's such a night. Nice, it is entertainment industry. And I'm, I'm, I'm more than a lot of people. I realize we are just entertaining. So I don't, I don't. I'm not super duper duper serious about all of it. Yeah. I, I am serious about the work that my clients get and their wishes being fulfilled, but I'm not you know, I'm I'm not getting a heart to a hospital right. to save a, a an infant's life or something. Yeah. You know, it's if if it needs to wait, it needs to wait. So, um in that way it's it's a good it's a good fit for me. Yeah. This is a question that I didn't write down that I just thought of now. Oh, and feel free not to answer it if you don't want to. It's not personal. Yes, the um, answer is yes. The answer is yes. Well, that's a weird answer for the right question. price. Um, there's a <laughs> there's a massive confusion and misunderstanding amongst young singers as to what the opera industry actually pays. Yes, I know so many singers who are trying to climb the ranks, and they have no idea what they should expect from a gig. Yeah, what it should pay what would even keep them afloat and they know what their bills are but they don't know what the opera houses would actually pay if they were to get a gig right um what are based on you know cba i mean i i know it like i know what the met pays sure and we i think we all have a better idea as to what the a-list houses are paying right for, especially for principal roles right but some of the smaller houses and into the b-list houses what are what can people expect to make from an average gig. Obviously, there's so much. I mean, singing Susanna versus the Jailer and dialogues You'd be are going to be some radically different changes. You'd be surprised. Yeah, yeah. The I'd say the fee levels for me. It surprises me how small the gap is between a compromario role and a um, lead role. Yeah, at some of these regional houses. Really, um, I would say, you know, I can't. I'd love to give you specifics, but um, yeah, I'm not looking for specifics from specific yeah, houses, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'd I'd say that a young singer who is very successful and on their way up, um, before taxes, before agent fees, before, um, you know, really before health care and <laughs> stuff like that, can expect to take home probably between forty and fifty thousand dollars a year. Okay, I'd say enough to live a life that somebody of your age would also be living. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can rent an apartment, you can have a car payment, um, you can take a lame vacation we've all taken in our 20s, um, you know, like, you know, South Beach for a long weekend exactly. or something with just, we've all been there. We all have Facebook pictures to prove it. Yeah. Um, and then I, I'd say the, the, our, our most I, th- this is this goes back to a question I ask all my artists when we're just kind of parlaying and talking about a relationship. I say, what do you want? Yeah. Do you want to make lots of money? Do you want to sing in certain places? Do you want to travel? Do you want to sing certain things? Mm. Um, are you 
so vain that you need the constant admiration of people in an audience fawning over you. You know, it's all things. And 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 I say, be honest, or I can't I can't do much for you. You yeah. know, like because I I will file this in my brain and say, you know, this is you know, let's see what we can do. Um, and if they say I need to make a lot of money. I, I immediately say, okay, I get you. Let's pivot a little bit, either on your career or on your expectations, because, um, you know, our our best working singers usually make between one and two hundred thousand dollars. Right. And I'd say that's a high level managed artist. Yeah. And that's that's a good job in North America. Is that, you know, baller status? No, 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 it's not. It's a very, it's a good living. Yeah. It's a good normal living, yeah. especially if you don't live in New York City, yeah. which many people don't. It's no longer really the epicenter of opera singers' lives. A lot yeah. of them do what they need to do there and then they get out. Right. Um, which I totally respect. I did it myself as an industry person. Um, companies will pay, um, you know, a regional company for a lead role. I'd say usually between three and five thousand per okay. show if they're doing um, maybe four shows. I'll say uh, if a few companies do maybe two performances and they pay better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the sweet spot for us total is between twelve and eighteen thousand dollars for a gig. Yeah. We always try and get housing included. Yep. We always try and get rental car included if it is a city that needs it. Right. And they will always throw in a flight. Right. Um, they love those flights, um, which we do too. And um, I'd I mean, say, these days you can fly just about anywhere in the states for three hundred bucks. Exactly. So they, you know, they 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 look at it as this this grand dom of extras, and it's right. like you know what. <laughs> At this point, that rental car on the other side is going to cost yeah, more. Yeah, it's like Southwest Airlines is running a sale every two minutes, and I can get to you. I'm going to New York at the beginning of March for like $135 round yeah. trip. I mean, it's it's like we can make it happen. Um, so, you know, there's that. I'd say at uh, Symphonic Gigs it's where it, is where it gets interesting, um, and not a lot of people know about this, but we do a lot of uh, – IMG prides itself on its vocal booking – in symphonies and recitals. And we have one dedicated person, Romana Jeroff, who does that only for singers. She okay. is indispensable, and um, I owe a lot of the great work my singers get to do to her. Anyways, um, you know, a smaller symphony in a, in a, in a you know, mid-level American city will pay between five and seven thousand for two performances of let's see like um uh, a mass in c minor um or a messiah and then from there we uh you know sometimes like a messiah will often have three four or five performances Mm -hmm. and so we have a sliding scale for that amount of performances so you're guaranteed like I just did a deal, and this orchestra did not know how many performances they would do of Messiah. It could be up to four. And so our quotes were, for two, six and a half. For three, eight. Mm. For four, nine. And that included hotel and airfare on yeah. top of that. And so that's how that works. Yeah. Um, 
commission rates for um, our company and for most companies is 10% for opera because you are in one place for a long time and they have dedicated teams um, for you know, getting you there, housing you, things like that. There's very little that we have to do on our end to get you to that place. Right. For symphonies, um, for symphonic work and recitals, a lot of work goes into it on our part. And so we charge 20%. Yeah. Um, it's also an opportunity to do a lot in one month. Um, you know, symphonies usually book people for a week. Mm-hmm. And so you can do four symphony gigs in a week. And the Sasha Cooks and Kelly O'Connors and people who really make their living doing symphonic work um, make bank for themselves and for us, which is awesome. Um, and then recitals. Recitals are a dying thing. Um, they're very, very hard to book. They're very gratifying for the singer. Um, but we almost always try and do them as part of a tour because that's the only way you see any right. income. I was going to say, the, the friends of mine that are, through A-list singers that are doing recitals, are it's it's a concert series. It's yeah. a tour. It's, it has to I've be. got this in a row. Yeah. We've seen the same rep. We've got the same people playing. You yeah. Know, and because our, a group. our offers, when they come to us for recitals, are fee plus hotels. Yeah. And that looks real nice, especially when it's five digits. But you have to keep in mind that that is also, you have to pay your travel for you and your pianist. You have to pay your pianist's fee, mm-hmm. which, depending on who you get, can be very expensive. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's, it, you got to you gotta price it out. And you have to pay us commission. Right. So um, I'd say at the lowest level, starting out, what I advise singers to do is if I know they are working a day job, I say, what do you make? What do you make for your day job per month? And if it's like, you know, I'd say the average jobby job thing is like maybe $2,000 a month, let's uh-huh. say. You know, if one opera gig, which is usually about a month, five weeks, pays less than that, I, as a manager, advise against it. Yeah. And I'd say that's, that's kind of the, the litmus that yeah. I do. It's, it's time versus money. Is, is the time you're putting out enough to warrant this? You know, I think that's that's why pay to sings are so are such a touchy subject for a lot of people, because it's it's like, am I going to put out money that I could otherwise make to do art, and is it going to serve me better or serve me at all in the future? Yeah, it's tough. And if it's not, then why do it? The answer is there. On the on the other hand. If you get the opportunity to work with a specific teacher or a coach, or learn something that you wouldn't learn elsewhere, yeah. or sing something you wouldn't sing, have the chance to maybe sing right away, then weigh it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you best be all over new form for classical singer and seeing oh seeing the gossip. Oh seeing, my god! Seeing what's happening there. <laughs> um, and, and and I if, can't with the gossip. I know ten thousand singers. All it's just oh good lord one giant primal scream <laughs> in in a in a stadium. Um, oh, it's so accurate, and it's great, and we feel the same way. Yeah, you know, it's we hate the people you hate, and we <laughs> we know we you know if they are jerks to you during your audition, they are jerks to us on the other side of it while yeah. we negotiate your contract. It's all the same. People are people, yeah. so you know management is is I think the closest thing to the singers as as it gets. Yeah. 
while still being on the business side of it. Yeah. And that's what I love. Uh, what else were we saying? Oh, so, you know, you've, we've talked a little bit about this um, in conversation. But um, you like to have a very team-based dynamic. Yes. A very relationship-based dynamic. Uh, what, are the, what are maybe some things that um, you appreciate about the relationship aspect of your dynamic? With your, with your client, with your roster? I am the first to say that I don't know everything. I can't go into your throat and say, this is ideal for you. This is what you do. You have to tell me. And if you are scared of me, or if you feel like we don't have any sort of rapport, um, then you're not going to be honest. You're not going to tell me things. Yeah. And so what I want to engender is a feeling of community with your career and with your um, life because when you have when I have bad news for you I want I don't want to feel like the asshole on the other end of the phone yeah just like saying everyone hated you they don't like you this is bad I don't know why you did it because that's it's it's my doing too I put yeah. you in that position I you know you sang the way you did or you were interpreted in that way as negatively whatever but I had a hand in that. Yeah. So it's not only on you. Um, and, and I feel like it's a manager's responsibility to take some responsibility yeah. um, for their singer's actions uh, or else they wouldn't work with them. Um, you know, it's also just, it, it makes the conversations that much easier. And I can share in successes. And it's not this like, you know, I have, I have clients that have come to me or friends, opera singer friends, as I'm sure you do, whose whose management is like the wizard behind the curtain, you know? Totally. Jobs fall from wherever, and they they don't talk to their managers otherwise. Yeah. They don't hear from them. And like we started out the conversation, the managers just show up for whatever reason yeah. <laughs> to gigs. It's like, it's like, but I, I like I was in Omaha yesterday, um, for the premiere of Elixir of Love with okay. Opera Omaha. I had Deanna Braywick, who premiered a very beautiful yeah. Adina oh, that's on right. Friday I her, night. I saw her pictures. Yes. I love that take. Yes, it was like show. it was like Bring It On meets um, Freaks and Geeks meets um, um, Mean Girls. Yeah. And it was a really cool, cool um, high school-esque concept. And it worked. It really worked. And, um, you know, we went to the, we went to the uh, after party and just... Just had a nice time, you know. We ate pasta, we talked, and there, and you know, she's she's thinking about getting a dog. She's she's told me about her love life. Um, her parents were coming the next day. It's easy, and I need that. I need that. Yeah. I mean, I really personally need that. I'm going to um, L.A. on Thursday to see Rod Guilfrey do his one man show, David Lang's The Loser, with L.A. Opera, um, at the Ace Hotel in downtown L.A. I'm really excited about that. Because I love Rod. Mm. I know what he does. I've seen the DVD. Um, I know that I know what the show is. Uh, but I'm excited to see my client. Yeah. And I'm excited to see Josh Winograd at, at LA Opera. And um, Philippa Cole and Matthew Feldman and Megan Martineau at the LA Phil. You know? And just like, like that, the people are what keeps me going. Yeah. And seeing them and seeing what they're doing and what they've come up with and the interesting programming. And I think that that's... You know, that's the most rewarding part of it. Um, but, 
you know, if, if you don't have a good relationship, this, this might be kind of a, a divisive thing to say, but if you don't have the relationship you want with your manager, either ask for it or find a new manager. Yeah. Because this is your life and we, we are here to make it better. And if you feel like all your dreams are coming true, then great. But if you feel like all your dreams aren't coming true and you don't have a conduit with which to make those dreams come true, reassess. Mm -hmm. We get one chance here um, doing this. And, you know, if, if it's not fulfilling to you, then do something else. Yeah. I think it's a great place to wrap it up. Yes. Yes. I love I love my encompassing <laughs> well done. thoughts. Thanks. So. Thanks again yeah. for uh, taking the time out. We talked a lot. For more information about today's guest, visit our website at operabizpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show with two interview episodes and two social media sound bites each month. You can find me directly on Instagram at the Beard and Lens, and the podcast Instagram is at operabiz. Thanks for listening to the Opera Biz Podcast.